0: gut na ravki ur hos konnangeri glab da kul et hegrakyo pro dozum gas honkela kul manhamra lit Honak avsian gathal ku genha
1: Welcome to Conlangery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley, and uh, this is a special e- episode today. I am joined by Kay Boem. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. <laughs> yeah, and that's K A Y E, and then the the Boem is B O E S M E, right? Yep. <laughs> All those signs. Yeah,
0: they're. Yeah, yeah, that is that is French for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And we are here. Uh this is just a special interview episode. Kay is a conlanger, and she has sort of incorporated conlanging into a fictional podcast called Epiphany. Um, can you give us the, the basic rundown of of Epiphany for us? And maybe a little bit about the world that it fits into okay
0: yeah so epiphany is a piece that i did that's epistolary uh so it's so in epistolary fiction can either be a diary or it can be a series of letters and people are very familiar with uh dracula is i think one of the more famous ones where mm-hmm. it's a combination of letters and diaries yeah. um but
1: yeah uh, frankenstein um, too is starts as a letter yeah
0: yeah, yeah. So it, it was a, it was a very, very popular 19th century style. Um, and in fact, I think that there was some sort of piece on the internet recently that was like, wait a second, people are still writing epistolary novels. Um, which was, which was really interesting to see. Uh, but in the 19th century, people were doing a lot of serialized fiction and I was an English major. And so I unintentionally specialized in sort of Pre-Victorian English literature. And so that includes stuff like, um, women's writing. I had a senior seminar on women's writing and all of that, uh, really, really fun stuff. And so, uh, Epiphany is tangential to one of my main creative projects, which is called the seven papers. And in it, I just wanted to explore in, uh, very immediate first-person plot. And so Epiphany is about a main character, Salus, who's a young political staffer who uncovers this uh, anti-government conspiracy and needs to seduce an undercover reactionary to find concrete evidence of wrongdoing. And so it's set in a very different social system from ours. So um, in the social system at set in, I decided to go with gender-neutral pronouns for every single character in the work because gender does work a little bit differently in a lot of these cultures where uh, social performance of gender doesn't correspond in the same way to um, physical chromosomes that you know we have in in Western American culture. Um, so there there is that, and I spent a lot of time looking for a gender neutral pronoun that I thought was pronounceable and and fairly easy. And so I settled on one of them, which is Lilim Ler, self And it's also set in a in a world where uh there are a lot of languages, lots of cultures, uh, and all of that. And so I tried to add a lot of cultural and linguistic depth to it. Um and part of that is with constructed languages that I been working on since i was in my late teens and i just turned 30 and so i have been working on a lot of this stuff for a while
1: yeah um talking about the the gender gender neutral pronouns now so you went with novel pronouns neologisms rather than you know what's sort of becoming the standard is is uh singular use of they can you, I, I know that you talk about this on the site. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah.
0: So I think that, so in personal, in personal usage, I do use singular they for people when like I'm at work or in like some types of social settings because that's, it, it's, it's a standard that you can use around a lot of people and they won't, you know, look at you strangely if you use, um, if you use a, a constructed pronoun. Um, but then when it comes to writing fiction, um, if you flatten pronouns for everybody in third person, you then run into the problem that exists in second person, which is the fact that we now just have you. Um, only typically in third person in writing, People who are not, you know, like the first person are really important to narratives. And so a lot of this was me trying to think about the best way to be able to write to write third person well, but then also have this additional, um, depth of pronouns. And so when I was looking at it, I ended up going with a pronoun that has been used. Um, it was, it was first, I think it's in the, the current. Um, and, and so that pronoun had a slightly different construction from how I am using it, but I decided to go with this one due to pronunciation. So with, um, the pronoun XE, for example, when I see that I want to turn it into Chinese and I want it to be what I I think it's, it's she like when I, when I see it, because that's just the way my brain does it. Um, of course in constructed languages, I tend to use X for, um, a different sound like, you know, he, so it's, it's slightly different, but, um, but yeah, so so there are a lot of a lot of reasons why I went the way that I
1: I did with those. Yeah. Um I can attest to I have uh you know, my perpetually unfinished uh Yeah. You know, I have a lot of un perpetually unfinished stories, but I yeah, I have uh, one story that I'm writing that has not everyone is flattened for gender, but I have like aliens that are totally gen- genderless, so that I, I I end up with a lot of gender neutral characters. And I was, I'm using they in that. It does require you to tweak the discourse if you, a lot, if you do it. You have to introduce proper names more often and all kinds of things. So I can understand the, uh, the choice that you made there. Um, it, I just think it's interesting and it's interesting. What I, one thing I find interesting in you using a gender neutral pronoun is presumably the languages that you're talking about do not distinguish gender on third person pronouns, right?
0: Right. So, so I have a lot of constructed languages and so I might just backtrack a little bit and talk about some of the themes in, in those. Um, So the languages that are most apparent in the work are Dveshi and Na'yi. Neither of those actually has gender in third person. So Tveshi actually has this really complicated system of formality in both second and third person. So there are like rules about like who you can you know, just to use like, you know, some French language here, tutoyer and vous voyez. they have a version of that in Tveshi that can actually get pretty complicated. And yeah, so so it's a similar thing to in Tbeshi to tutoyer and vouvoyer in French, where you've got that, you know, you've got an informal and then you have a formal second person pronoun, but you have that in third person too in Tbeshi. In Narayi, there isn't really a formality encoded in the pronoun system, but it also doesn't have those. And then The one language that that I do have that's spoken on this continent, iturgy, actually has a series of suffixes that do have gender, and those suffixes can be added to pronouns, they can be added to nouns, they can be added to various parts of speech, but they're usually just used for clarification. Um, But some of this is cultural, too. So like in a lot of these cultures, a lot of people avoid stating obvious things about other people. Um, so the fact that somebody might say, you know, that somebody is a man over and over and over again would just like seem kind of insulting, like everybody in the conversation should know that. Um, and so the, one of the other language families that's spoken on one of the other continents and, um, forms of, of that language family are spoken on a few other planets does actually have gender, um, masculine and feminine gender and human, Pronouns in third person that are based on whether or not somebody has been initiated into adulthood using the gender rituals. So it's like, you don't use that for kids or for people who haven't completed those gender rituals. But then again, it's sort of like intercultural issues of, you know, like if you have like somebody from that, yeah, who, you know, is learning one of those languages, that person's going to be like, well, why do I have to do this over and over again? Like, isn't it obvious that, you know, that person. It's a woman or that person's a man. Do I have to keep using these honorific pronouns for this person?
1: And it's, it's interesting that, you know, you've gone through a lot of thinking about how gender works in these societies. Um, uh, I want to get into that, but just sort of wrapping up the, the pronoun discussion. One thing that I noticed is very early on that actually Becomes important to the plot that you don't know someone's gender from the pronoun. Right. And yeah, without having some, some use of a gender neutral pronoun, uh, in the English translation, right. You couldn't actually easily do that. And I think that that is, uh, an interesting maybe facet of that choice because when you have a lot of fantasy literature and a lot of sci-fi literature that presumably is like, has a conceit of being translated from another language, it's not, doesn't actually sound like it's translated from another language. Like things like, oh, these rhymes still conveniently work, uh, and things like that. But you have, there's no, there's no question in your stuff that this is meant to be seen as a translation because you've, you've done that extra thing of flattening the pronouns. And um, I will tell people it's, it's not an easy listen at the start because uh, you're going to be inundated with a lot of conlang names and terms right from the beginning. And uh, it, it, it took me a bit to tr- tr- start to like figure out what was going on. Uh, but that's, that's kind of part of the appeal to me, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely the case. And that's why epistolary fiction is, I think, so interesting because it's like, so, so in, let's say episode, episode one of, of the, of the podcast, right? So like what the main character chooses to say and, feels is obvious are really different from like what I as like a writer would actually choose to convey if I were writing this in, let's say like third person or, you know, some kind of voice that were a little bit more distant. So like in the main work that I have, um, the person it's, it's sort of in first person, but also sort of in third person because it's somebody who's looking back on historical events, um, that, that person was not present. For necessarily, and so in in that kind of narrative, I have a lot more freedom to have Lim say, okay, so maybe people in two hundred years are not going to necessarily know this cultural thing that was happening at the time. Maybe I should take a few seconds to explain it. Salus doesn't actually do that because, at least in the in the beginning of Epiphany, Salus is is essentially. You know, writing a diary, you're not going to say, you know, like let's say that you're writing a diary entry for the day and something happens at a gas station. You're going to assume that, you know, like you can just say, I went to the gas station, I, you know, was there for about 15 minutes and then I left. But like the, if you handed that to somebody who didn't actually understand how gas stations worked, that person wouldn't really know what that means. It means you have to like pull up, remember which side of the car, you know, you have to, you know, have facing the, the pumps, you have to do the pump stuff with credit cards, sometimes the mission. So it's, it's actually a really complicated process that we do actually take for granted. And so in the first, in the first episode, actually, it's really interesting because when Salus is having all of these issues, even like getting to this apartment building, like the luggage is actually self-moving luggage. So one of the problems that Seleuze actually has on the sky rail is the fact that it just stops working and the luggage suddenly is like falling down some stairs. And so it's a very hectic thing. But I can't necessarily convey that because Seleuze might not, um, and definitely doesn't, because Seleuze is more concerned with venting a lot of frustrations about just suddenly being in an area of Lur country that is extremely different from the area in which Lee grew up, if that makes sense.
1: Right. Uh, And that's, that's definitely an interesting facet, but you still get the general sense of Seleuce being a fish out of water because even, even the act of writing a diary is weird for, and um, this is, this is where I need to clarify. So, is Salus, like, um, uh, genderqueer or something like that?
0: Um, no, Salus in this culture would identify as,
1: uh, as a woman. Okay. So Salus is a woman. Okay. Yeah. But she, um, uh, if I can use she <laughs> with your character, um, uh, she is a fish out of water, uh, and, the, just the act of writing a diary that's suggested by a friend of hers, but it's really uncomfortable for her to, to try to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because in in a lot of these – so so there are a lot of assumptions that I go into to this kind of writing with. Like, one, this is in the far, far distant future. And so – You know, just speaking of like human evolution and like like generations and things like that. Like one of the things that like currently we're dealing with in society, um, across the world is the fact that so many people are moving to cities, and living in cities requires a a very different set of coping strategies than living, you know, in small tribal groups, you know, wherever you are. And so that's a lot of. it's very, it's, there's a lot of social pain behind that. But if you're thinking about like the very, very, very far future and people have always lived in cities, you know, with some people obviously taking, you know, like, you know, some time out in, because people have to, somebody has to be farming, Some. but he has to be working equipment and bringing in food and a lot of other stuff like that. But the systems that like we've taken for granted here on earth are not necessarily the systems that people are going to use in the future. So the cultures that I have, a lot of them are very, are very collective focused. Um, and, and so there, are, there are a lot of values like that. And especially with the, the Narayi and the Tveshi, like, one of the things that is, is just really, really bizarre is that, like, there really isn't very much privacy. Um, so people end up, like, when they're children living in a room with other children, almost everybody has to get married because the production of children is something that families care about. Um, but because children are raised in an extended family home, it doesn't necessarily, as soon as like the child's weaned, it doesn't actually matter culturally if the mother has a job or the father has a job or the other, you know, non male or non female person who contributed, you know, genetic information to the child is there. It doesn't, it doesn't matter in the same way because there's an expectation that about two thirds of the adults in a family are going to be working in the home and about a third of them are going to be working out in the public. And it doesn't really matter who that is because you send the third out to work in the public who are the best third for doing that. Um, and then everybody else has, you know, various kinds of tasks. And then in constructed languages, that's actually a little bit difficult because I use a combination of trying to use things that sound somewhat idiomatic in English and constructed language terms, but I can't call those people like homebodies because there's a slight, you know, like, is, is that like really a good word? Because it's like very respectable. Like nobody would like bat an eye at being like called like the equivalent of a homebody. But, um, but I use the, the word, like at hyphen in homes or at home but to describe like a person or persons who are doing that kind of work. And so it's, it's just, it's just very different socially. And the culture that is trying to popularize diary writing in the first place is this culture from um, this other planet that was colonized where they do diary writing as a reflective meditation practice. So it's, but they've been like blasting a lot of their cultural materials down from satellites for several decades at this point, Mm. which is why it's starting to get picked up here.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's, that's an interesting thing. And it's, 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 it's interesting talking to you and, and getting this sort of extra information that's not really in the, in the story. Um, uh, why don't you, so we've touched on how gender works a bit differently. And I, I, I'd like to actually talk a little bit about the, the, um, the way that gender works in this, um, uh, in, in your, um, in your world, sorry. Um, cause I, it varies by different cultures, but there, there, it's all very interesting. And I just kind of want to go over, over that. I know there's, there's, um, more on your site that I can, I can send people to, but I just want to get an overview.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there, there is actually a supplemental, um, podcast episode I came out with that was the TLDR gender in a nutshell. Yeah, Um, episode. Yeah. And so so that really has a lot of the information there. But yeah, it it does vary by culture, because one of the things I was trying to do was make cultural expressions of gender that were actually things that were like built out of these cultures that were really intrinsic to these cultures, because so so as a member of like the LGBT community, like one of the things that I really don't like about a lot of um, LGBT literatures is that a lot of it's about like coming out stories or like not fitting into a culture or really not having a place. And so like one of the things that was really important for me when I was writing this was to be like, OK, so if these cultures are um, LGBT positive cultures, like what would that actually look like when built from the ground up? versus something that you know is a a culturally sensitive issue. And so so that's that's part of the reason I went with this. Um in the specific way that I built built gender up. Um but then it's also that um it, yeah, so so there there are several different cultural groups in this area. They all have different things that they do. Dabeshi is sort of the Legal defaults because the, uh, people who are, um, in control of Tvesha, who call themselves the Tveshi, who speak Tveshi, but are actually ethnically part of this group called the Sabaji, um, they, they tend to have a very, um, you know, like if you give a mouse a cookie, a feeling about, um, about regional culturally sensitive laws. Um, but yeah, so, In Dveshi actually has a really interesting system. So like, despite the fact that it doesn't have any gender in pronouns, most names have gender suffixes. Mm -hmm. Some names don't. So there are three genders that, you know, have these suffixes. There are men, there are women, and there are Jomela. And Jomela are people who were assigned male at birth, but are very effeminate. And so become this, um, this third gender. And so this is a culture that has, uh, similar to some earth cultures take on on sort of a third gender um Naragi is is very different because in um in the culture that salus grew up in um there are you know even more genders represented um but yeah these this set of suffixes is, is really interesting because a lot of this comes from like linguistic clashes and Languages evolving over time where, you know, if you have like an honorific suffix, sometimes, you know, depending on where you are, it, you know, actually just start, people just start giving it to babies, um, that kind of thing. Um, and, and so in a lot of the, um, the Ya languages and Narayi is one of those, um, something very different happened in that, um, there was a refugee crisis about 3,000 years before the present, um, that not a lot is known historically, like in the context of the work. Very few people know historically what happened during that because it was so long ago. But, um, essentially what you had going on was about, um, 20 million people fleeing south from the part of the Tabaji continent that the Sabaji ended up settling during the, Sabaji's settlement period and so there were a lot of linguistic clashes in the territories that remained um Ixarginia. and so so that colors a lot of the way that those suffixes evolved because many of those are things that actually came out of the languages that were spoken in the north before you know the refugees moved down um but that kind of thing i think happens in in a lot of refugee populations where you know, like those those languages that were spoken in the north are are completely gone. You know, like on on Earth, for example, um during or slightly before World War One or during World War One, um all of the, the Greeks who were living in the Ottoman Empire were evacuated to Greece because that's like an interesting case study of you know, what happens when you have a nation state with your ethnic group in it, you know, like the Greeks did versus the Armenians. Who I don't think actually had a state that could get behind them, but the dialects and languages that are Greek that were spoken in those areas, you know, are dying or dead because you know once you integrate them with the the other population, it's you know there's there's language extinction and those kinds of things. Um, yeah,
1: and and the, there are a lot of cases where uh, a language only really survives in the diaspora. Population, So like it, it finds yeah. out where it came from. And then, um, I don't know. I think there are, uh, there are some like dialects, s- some like European, uh, you might call them dialects or they might be actually different languages that, uh, only exist in a few immigrant populations in Americas and have been sort of swept, swept under by uh standardization and things like that in in their home countries so yeah that's that's definitely an interesting thing and if you get enough enough people moving from one place to another then you definitely will get linguistic influence um one thing i do um if 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 you all if 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 uh you will suffer my straight opinion for a minute, but, uh, one mm-hmm. thing I do like about you say you set out to be sort of LGBT positive and sort of inclusive in the genders, but at the same time, you know, these, these different groups have different genders that don't really necessarily, they, they overlap. They're not, uh, recognizing the same people and then you have the one dominant culture that is not legally recognizing other people's categories. So I I just like that because you did that, but it could it could have been it might have been easy to like starting from there create something like utopian where just everybody is is totally fine, but there's still sort of tension in there between the different cultures and what they recognize. And I'm sure there are still some people that are a little bit marginalized by this.
0: Yeah, they're, they're definitely, yeah, I was definitely not setting out to create a utopia because, you know, like when you, when you talk about, you know, something like this. And so like, this is a matriarchal culture as well. Mm -hmm. So, but it's not a utopian matriarchal culture. Like it's one of those ones where like, pretty early on, people figured out that if you let women be in charge domestically and you send men off to fight, if men die in battle, the family can still keep doing its thing domestically. And so regimes stay in power longer. And so that's one of the principles. So it's, it's actually, it's when I, when I talk to my friends about stuff that I'm writing, I say, this is actually really good, but it's secretly horrible. Um, (laughs) (laughs) because, but, but you know, like how that is, it's like how you know, like people. So, so it's also like one of those things where like all of these genders are culturally integrated. And so if you're in one of these cultures, you have a set dossier of choices. So it's, it's not, and there are a lot of restrictions, especially like with, um, so, so the way that a conservative versus progressive works in these cultures is also a little bit different as well. So, you know, like for example, um, there's this idea that if you have like a a Jomela as an advisor to a ruler, it means that the monarchy is in crisis because Jomela are, are seen as incredibly deft negotiators who combine like the best traits of masculinity and femininity. And so if you have one as an advisor, according to the really, really, really conservative people, that's like saying that like, you don't think that the country is going to be here tomorrow. Um, but that's, you know, just ridiculous because there are a lot of very qualified Jomela who are perfectly appropriate for those kinds of advising positions. And, and so then you also have like a, a set of, a set of things that men are expected to do and that women are expected to do and that, you know, in, um, Narayad that Yadzakma Yad are expected to do. Um, and so it's, it's like all of these genders also have like, ranges of roles that they're expected to take. And so it it you don't really get beyond it's because because when you're thinking about traditional cultures and you're thinking about culturally contextual stuff, there are always those um those boundaries or those those places that people are expected to operate within.
1: Right. Yeah it, it's it's never going to be like a perfect place where everyone can do whatever they want and not have social consequences. But it's interesting to see a different, you know, a different kind of social structure.
0: Yeah. And, and so luce is actually a fish out of water in a few other ways in that. Um, so um, Gati has actually had kids. So Ati is doing the thing that, you know, one does when, you know, one is a woman, which is to study in one's own region, like have, you know, about two kids while studying and staying close to home after the kids are weaned, thinking about, you know, professionalism and, you know, what one wants to do. And Salus hasn't done that. Like Salus is is 19 in a messy years, which is in early... 20s um in like earth years because their year is is slightly longer um and and so that's so so, yeah it's a very it's a very different cultural framework to operate within
1: uh you have mentioned that this is very far future are any of your languages do they have any relationship with earth languages or did you just sort of start with a clean slate picking a time that was so far in the future it didn't matter.
0: Yeah, so I there there are two different answers to that. One is yes, I did start with a clean slate, but this is several planets post earth and I know more about the last planet that they were on than about any like far past connections to earth I will say that I put a few Easter eggs in there based on like words and like English slang that I really 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 like but that's just because it's, it's just something it's, it's something that I found funny um and and it's stuff that people are probably not going to see because it's in um, it's in a language that's dead and only spoken by um, by very old immortals who don't and i often don't translate that language um because it's it, it it's kind of othering you know when i don't provide that translation and so i i try not to but yeah so so what i went with was on the planet before um so so there are like two population bottlenecks one is that when you're settling a new planet if you have people with multiple language repre- multiple languages represented you're going to end up with some kind of like Very, very chaotic pidgin and creole, and you know, all of those kinds of things. But, um, the language that was last spoken before the current set of worlds, I have a few principles about that. So, for one, um, they tended to mark, um, in verbs the, um, whether something was, you know, actually concrete versus whether it probably happened. Versus, you know, whether this thing is like hypothetical, um, and so so that's that's a thing that I've tried to add thematically to the constructed languages that I have. So like that's like one of those like like very high level principles that comes from that like original language that was spoken um, by the time Salus is living. That would have been about thirty four thousand years earlier, which is oh. very deep time. So it's it's yeah so so they were for about 17,000 years on the planet before and then this is like 34,000 35,000 years into the planet that they're currently on. And so you know with the ways that like indo-european has spread out the ways that the you know what ended up giving rise to multiple languages in the Americas.
1: Yeah. Once once you're into tens of thousands of years uh, like that then there's there's not much chance of actually getting uh getting that far back yeah so the i mean they might actually have a better chance because they they might have preserved written language written records all the way back to earth but even that might have been have have sort of decayed by that point do they even know that uh do they even know about earth
0: so, so so that's that's actually, like, really interesting because, like, you know, speaking from, like, a scientific perspective, like, yeah, of course they would know that there are, like, no other mammals on the planet that they're on, like, you know, because they're, they're very different from the life forms that are there. Of course, you know, like, the life forms are compatible enough with human life that they can eat these things and, you know, make pets and, you know, all of that stuff. But, yeah, um, so people would know, but it's just, like, the question of, like, Going that far deep in time, like, do people actually care? That's like the actual, I think, hidden question. And I, I don't think that they do quite so much. Um, because like that is, that is extremely, extremely far removed in the past. Um, but yeah, so like, so ultimately, like after 34,000 years, I just like went with some general, like, principles of things that are nice to include in a constructed language, which, you know, and I mean, it's also that, um, OVS is uh, the form that the original language of the original settlers of a Mesa spoke. And so I've oversampled for that in the uh, in the constructed languages that I use, Yeah, because because, you know, that's the kind of it's it's, you know, like one of those accidents that, you know, like Indo-European is, you know, spawns all of these languages that end up being, you know, svo and so we think you know yes languages should be svo that is the most logical thing but you know is that real like if we actually like you know looked at this like what if you know yeah but you know it, it's it's one of those really interesting questions i think
1: well um and, yeah it, it seems yeah it it seems <laughs> that across families that there's SVO and, o- and SOV are very common and OVS is extremely rare, but, you know, there, there is always this possibility of is that because humans will tend to do that or is it because, uh, the most successful language families had that order? Uh, it, it is, it is sort of an interesting question to have, but, um, I noticed, uh, that, Uh like the one sort of characteristic that Salus notes between Dveshi and uh Ler own language, own home language is word order, right? Um Yeah. Uh she it's Naragi, right? Yeah, Naragi. Mm hmm. Uh which wait, which which one has which order word order? I don't know. Uh, I,
0: I, yeah, so 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 Tveshi has um, SVO, and Naragi is the exact opposite. Um, so, like with the actually, it's really funny because the Eturji Creole language that ended up becoming the Eturji language is it's actually it's it, it sort of like takes the um it takes the midpoint between the two. Um, and I've got to actually like look up because I rarely ever translate. Things into and out of that one. I've actually got to look it up. So, <laughs> yeah. So iturgy puts the verb first. Oh, okay. Yeah. So so it's kind of like the midpoint between the two. Um, hmm. Yeah, and iturgy is really interesting because um, so it evolved out of um, a Creole, but they actually have formality in verbs in that language, where the formal versions of the verbs are based on the Dabashi verb suffixes and then the informal version of the verbs that you use, like with your family and stuff, are based on um, what the pre-existing Xerginya language um, used, which is kind of interesting because mm-hmm. people were more likely to use, you know, a more Narayi sound among themselves than necessarily like in public
1: That's, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And you can get registers like that that have, um, uh, or, or politeness systems like that, that, that borrow from one language to, from or another. So that, that strikes me as a, a, uh, something that definitely could happen. (laughs) Uh, so that's, 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 that is, that is, uh, a very interesting, uh, bit. Trying to think what other, Things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, right. So, we have Salus as a fish out of water, and that actually gives us, ends up giving us a lot of information about Salus because, uh, uh, she doesn't, she, she is traumatized when people touch her hair. Um, uh, and that doesn't seem to be like that seems to be something associated more with her culture than the culture that she's in. Right.
0: Yeah, because um, so all of the cultures in the Tavaji continent, um, women offer their hair, which means that they shave their heads um, during the marriage ceremony. And so before a marriage, um, it's actually a slight taboo everywhere to do that. But only in the Ixayunia cultural spaces is it like something where like every single time like Salusa's hair is touched, Lee actually is supposed to go to a temple to get it ritually purified, Right, which is, it's not, so it's not just insulting. It's also like a huge hassle because you have to like schedule time with priestesses. And, you know, it's it also, there's a fee associated with it because, you can't just get this done for free. You have to actually like pay the temple for the time. And so it's, 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 it's both, you know, like a culturally taboo thing and it's expensive and it's, 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 it's a, it's a constellation of different problems.
1: Right. And the, um, and it, it's, it's, uh, particularly, uh, it was sort of led lured to have to, um, follow someone's instructions to put a bug in her hair, right? A little recording <laughs> device because the person who would have been installing it, uh, can't touch, can't touch her hair. And, uh, and it was particularly someone that, uh, Lee wouldn't really want to touch her hair ever, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so there, there are some moments like that. Yeah. Yeah, cause Okiot is, you know, just, just kind of standing there going like, you know, how do you, you know, how do you like negotiate something like that? Um, cause I mean, it's also
1: that Okiot is actually an engineer. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and, and Okiot, the, the, the problem with Okiot. So I, I'm not clear on, because otherwise this world doesn't seem to have. So much race that, as, as we have in our culture, but, uh, Okio appears to be, right? He appears as, uh, something called a Ngwangwa, right? And. Yeah, so, um, so Nguamwa are, um, so there are
0: two, actually 3 but like just to simplify it there are there are two collectives um and by collectives i mean like groups of people who like actually have like this thought sharing thing and are semi immortal and stuff like that one of them is the Karatha, and that's not very taboo but the nuamwa um tend to have a lot of cultural baggage associated with them um and so the signifiers that one is physically in one or the other um, differ between the two of them, um, for reasons that I'm going to just redact. Um, but Okio seems to, like, to Saluz, be from, um, the Nwamwa. And, and, and so Saluz has to deal with a lot of cultural baggage around that at the same, at the same time. And so it, there's stress happening uh, on multiple fronts there.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and I hope that you can't hear my cat meowing in the back. <laughs>
1: so, uh, no, I don't, I don't hear it. Okay. Um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see if it shows up on the recording. But, uh, yeah. So there, the, uh, the, the, you have a very, very intricate world. And we only get sort of a glimpse of it through the podcast. And you also have, uh, transcripts of it. Right. Um, though so I would, yeah. I would recommend that people listen to it so that they know how things are pronounced um yeah yeah that was actually an issue <laughs> so yeah i'm not sure if the 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 written forms are always uh transparent that transparent for english speakers so it's good for you to listen by the way you're, this is a far future world do they actually natively use the roman alphabet
0: no they don't there are several different there are several different alphabets that are used and other like you know syllable systems and other things like that um but they've always had writing which is something that's really interesting too because um it's so like one of the things that you might notice if you do the written version as opposed to listening is that um it's it's more apparent that uh, Salus is not always consistent with lower spellings of things. And that's because in 1865 standard count, that's about 20 years before the linguistic reform group lobbies the regional government enough to actually have new standards put in place for orthography. Um Because, you know, once you're dealing with like a written culture that's written for for a while you start to get like these out of sync things between like what people use in in which context. And so like what they tend to do is like every like 400 or 500 years, like have a course correction where there's a literal committee that sits down and like figures out like, you know, what's changed as far as like all of this stuff goes. And so like, there's actually a later section that's not very plot important. So I can just, just say this, but there's a later section in which, Salus is like, yeah, somebody just used the slang word for um for family in Narayi, which is uh coupeau. And the actual word for family is different, but Salus thinks that it's extremely impolite to use the slang form. And of course, after the linguistic reform, the slang form is going to be the canonical word that's used. Um and so it's 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 also like one of those those strange things. And so between civilizations is when a lot of the um you know during the during civilization collapses is when there is the most um linguistic innovation as well
1: so that's the that was i i i sort of have uh i think we've talked quite a bit about a lot of things and uh yeah um, and i i can see you like pushing against the edge of like not wanting to give me spoilers so uh we may want to um end it there uh it's there's a whole lot of interesting things that you're using the calendar system of that um story and it just happens that they are in the uh in the 1800s of their years now um i yep i i presume that you did that deliberately
0: yeah, so I basically counted from when um people have decided the important. So like they have a year zero, which is because they fill their years up. They don't just they don't go from negative one to one. Um So they have a year that's filled. Um But yeah, that's that's a very historically significant year. And that's when they start their calendar, because the current monarchy believes that it is the descendant of a person who founded and unified a bunch of countries um, at that time. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I actually use negative, negative numbers as well. So like negative 3,334 standard count and stuff like that. So people tend to think in negative numbers and there is a very strong concept of,
1: of zero. Right. Well, I mean, this, this is sort of the, the thing of, uh, when when you're creating a far future culture and you end up with I mean you're going to a different planet so you're going mm-hmm. to start a new calendar of some sort because it's not going to make any sense to use Gregorian anymore right so yeah um that that um Uh, uh, that sort of thing you can end up with all sorts of whatever committee decides on how to build the calendar is going to build it in a different way than sort of the sort of semi, semi naturally evolved and like different stages that our, our own calendars went through with very, um, very different kinds of, uh, of considerations going on as, as, as we went through, but yeah, that's, that's
0: yeah. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very bureaucracy ex machina. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That's, which is, which is something that I really strongly, I really strongly believe, believe in bureaucracy ex machina, you know, like if something doesn't make sense, make a committee about it and then it will. Um
1: yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Um, Although it's, it's interesting actually to look out and even in bureaucratic systems find the, the weird things that like kind of half worked and got stuck because of, I don't know, just weird historical things. Like, uh, if you, if you look into like the history of social security numbers and how they were never meant to be I- identifying of people and they're really terrible about identifying people, but it was what the federal government had. So all these agencies decided to start using them. Uh, so the, the, there can be weird things that come out of that, but then sometimes you can have a committee that sort of comes up with something that, that is a little bit more regular than you would expect naturally.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that like behind the scenes, um, the linguistic committee that's going to exist in 20 years in the future in this world is going to I bet that the minutes are astonishingly brilliant
1: um (laughs) language standardization is always going to be just like very weird I think
0: (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah but it's it's also because I think about these things and I think about just sort of like the background of like okay so like what's happening culturally all of that other stuff and it's it's also like and then there, there are also like just layers and layers and layers of languages. Um, I tend to focus more on the ones that are spoken really widely. But like, Salus is also from like this area, which is basically a rainforest on top of chaos terrain, um, which is it, that goes on for like thousands of of kilometers, and and so like the linguistic diversity in that area is actually quite high. Um, But everybody's supposed to learn Narayi, and so like regionally Narayi is very privileged. Nationally, Tveshi is very privileged. And so, and then internationally, um, by the time Seleuze is alive, this language that's spoken where the International Congress is, which is um, Hesi, is starting to become the interplanetary privileged language that is spoken on a mesa. And then there is also classical Atarahi from one of the other worlds, and and mameltab um, from another one. And so it's it's basically it's in another century it's basically just going to be Hesi, classical Atarahi, and then mameltab that are going to be expected if you want to do anything beyond like your sort of local planetary level.
1: Uh-huh. I love that level of detail because so many sci-fi worlds, it's all like one language on each planet. And there's not a whole lot of discussion of like what languages are more privileged, what languages are used in different spheres, but you've thought about that. And I, I I really appreciate to, to see a world like that. And I don't think you, you don't have really a universal translator, right?
0: No, no. It's a lot of it's manual. There, there are some AIs, but you know, it depends on what AI is good at versus what, what people are, are good at. Um, so like technology is another, another level, but I think like going back to that, like, so Ursula K. Le Guin did a lot of, um, I, I think in that a forward of, of something about, I think invented languages, um, cause I was reading words are my matter. And so she has a bunch of essays that she's collected in that. And one of them was actually, I think, uh, an essay that went in to introduce, uh, invented languages in, in in some book that recently came out where she was talking about how like thinking about language like worked its way into her stuff and I just finished reading um, A Secret Vice the one, uh, the, the new edition of Tolkien's uh, manifesto on constructed languages mm-hmm. um, and so like he was thinking about this stuff and I mean like people have written dissertations on what C.J. Cherry was doing because like she I think has a linguistics degree. and so she does a lot of really weird stuff in her writing. Right. Um, so it's like it, it's it's like there are a lot of people who are doing this, and I think that it really just depends on the type of fiction one is writing, just how much of it you just sort of see. Right. I mean, like Tolkien's like the sort of platinum standard because, of course, like he's got you know, and boxes
1: and boxes of of stuff came out of
0: Tolkien right.
1: At, and at the same time. Uh, really the things that you hear about from the books are just a, a a little bit about it. You know, you know that the, the, the language of the men of the West is like the lingua franca everywhere. And then Mm -hmm. you know about Quenya and Sindarin and there's text in Quenya and Sindarin. You don't, you don't know much about the dwarf language because it's supposed to be a secret. Super secret language. Um And, uh, but, uh, that's about, and, and the, the black, the black speech and a little bit about how orcs talk, which is, ahem, weird. There's, uh, I mean, not weird, but, um, has a little bit of, uh, of its time attitudes in there. But, uh, yeah, the, there's, he definitely had a lot of thinking. I don't, um... I can, I can recall from the left hand of darkness in Le Guin's work, at least the two different countries on that planet, you got to know sort of that they were, I think they did speak different languages, but I don't, I don't know her work well enough to know more detail about like the kinds of worlds that she, she created. I need to, I need to read more.
0: Yeah, I think that like in that essay, she was saying, I don't know if it's pronounced Kesh or Kish, like I think that's the problem with the Roman alphabet when you like read stuff on the page. Um, But she was saying that like she originally I think started out with just like knowing what the consonant and vowels structured and like how to make names, you know, all of that just like very basic stuff. And then – um And then at some point, because, you know, the work got published and then she had to do more with it. Somebody was like, well, we need to have like these like things that are actually like in cash. And, and she was like, wait, what? And then had to do a little bit more.
1: Yeah. There's that's, that's always a trick.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like, especially like with orthography, like that's one of, so like, this is actually like, back when I was in my early twenties, um, there like I was when I was originally like doing like writing Epiphany. Um yeah, I, I think that like one of the reasons why it's a podcast and not just text is that um like in my professional like career I'm a librarian and so I was like and so we talk a lot about you know, user testing and usability and um, ADA compliance and stuff like that. And I was like, wait a second, none of my constructed languages is like ADA compliant. So like, what do you even do in that case? Um, because, you know, when you have like somebody on a screen reader that's trying to like parse out like how to pronounce a lot of these these terms and like these things with these special characters, like, you know, that, that, that goes even beyond just it, it, there's really no way to do it easily because even if you flatten out any of the, you know, special character markings, it would still just not even know what to do with them. And so and so that's one of the reasons why I, I went like the, the podcast with full transcripts read. It's because that at least like hits, you know, the most number of people. Right. A lot of people also just like really enjoy listening to podcasts because they can like do them during their commute or well cleaning. I usually listen to podcasts for like folding laundry and stuff. Um and it's you know it's it's very it's a very good A good way to, I think, um, do creative things and do creative broadcasts.
1: Yeah. I, that's, that's definitely true. Um, for Con Langery, uh, since the beginning, people have wanted transcripts and I just never got around to it. I'm, I, I am currently looking at a, a, a solution for that because I have, I have realized that, you know, an audio only thing, well, not everybody can, Easily, uh, uh, you know, enjoy that. So the, that's that's definitely it's a a good thing to be thinking about. You you have it easier because you start from a script, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I
0: was, about to, I was about to say that exact same thing. It's 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 a totally different world when you're trying to transcribe conversations. Right. And
1: I don't I don't want to transcribe do too much do of it by hand because. I have done transcription by hand and it's very tedious and I don't have the time for it. But, uh, if I could get an automatic solution to work like halfway, then maybe I can get the, the, the transcripts. I, I, I have one that I'm looking at, but, uh, yeah. And especially an even automatic is gonna be dicey for a show like this one because I say random foreign words a lot and technical terms and sometimes words that will not be in any dictionary, not even not, not English and not any other language. So it's sort of, you know, anyway, yeah. that's, that's enough talking about my own problems.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I hope that, I hope that you have like a, a good, I hope that you have a good amount of luck with finding, finding transcription
1: services. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, a tricky one because I, I was, yeah. Oh, uh, it, it was, I, I just think about it because one popped up recently that I wanted to try. Uh, because, um, you know, I don't have time to do it myself. I don't have money to pay somebody to do it. And that would, because that would be, you know, for the job that they'd have to do, it would have to be a pretty good, uh, fee there. But, uh, I might be able to uh get something with halfway automated, but anyway um anything else you would like to share about your world or about your languages or about yourself before we sign off since we're uh uh I think we're pretty much at time
0: um i think that I think that that's pretty much that's pretty much it about it. I should probably stop i can talk about like my world building for hours on end. Um, so I should probably I should probably stop stop there. But I think that I should probably just tell people where they can find this. Um, and the URL, does that sound good? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So Epiphany is um, the easiest way to get to it is to go to k a y e b o esme.com/ com slash epiphany there are links there to google play and itunes if you'd like to download it there are a bunch of cultural notes there are things that are way more in depth than um than what we got to here but yeah yeah thank you for having me on
1: this was really fun oh well thank you for being on with us um uh, one last thing i want to say um the 7th Language Creation Conference is going to be uh, in Calgary, Alberta, Canada from July 22nd to 23rd. Uh, I've, I've announced that several times now, but I, I just want to remind people yet again, if you're near there, maybe you can go, but uh, I know that there's going to probably be a live stream. I think they do a live stream every one of these, so you can watch from home, too, and... Uh, the, the Con Langry movie is going to be screened there. That's not on the live stream. Uh, and William is giving a talk there. I won't be there because, uh, various reasons. Uh, and, but, um, we are planning for the August episode of Con Langry is just going to be talking about stuff that happened at the LCC. So you can, uh, come back to uh, us for a little recap. And um, William said he's going to try to run around and and uh, interview people with with his iPhone. We'll we'll see if we get any good material out of that to cut into. Um, so um, thank you, Kay. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for being on. Uh, I recommend everyone go to KBoM. Uh, Dot com and check out that Epiphany podcast. I don't... I, I find it very interesting. I, I'm still sort of like... My head is always very cloudy when I'm trying to listen to it because, you know, all of this information you've got to absorb. But it's it's very uh, interesting, and there's an interesting sort of uh, mystery going on in there. So I, I highly recommend it. Uh, and... Uh, Thank you all for listening, and I'm going to say happy ConLangery. Thank you for listening to ConLangery. You can find our archives and show notes at ConLangery.com. You can support the show on Patreon at Patreon.com slash ConLangery. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, and on Tumblr now. All of those, you just find ConLangery. Our web space is provided by the Language Creation Society our theme music is by Null Device, and our new site was designed by Bianca Richards.